Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, still in Las Vegas, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You remember about a week ago where I really came out hard subtweeting uh, all the media members who were complaining and whining about Vegas being too much? Uh, I'd like to take all that back, Andrew. I've been here <laughs> for so long. But I, I do want to give a quick shout-out to LeBron James. I'm sure he's listening. He really saved the day, Andrew, because right when Summer League was really starting to drag, LeBron shows up in pure royal procession form, wearing $500 Lakers shorts that immediately sold out online, wearing custom purple Lakers purple Nike shoes. You'll remember I told you he was going to have the the LA colorways on his sneakers, and of course he did not disappoint, and he kind of shut the gym down uh, on Sunday. (laughs) The Lakers responded with another brilliant run through the playoffs. Uh, I think we might have to have a conversation about whether they've ruined the NBA with their summer league dominance. I mean, it's kind of getting to that point here where, uh, you know, 12 wins There's in a row. There's just no drama anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, break them up, right? They got to trade Josh Hart or something. It's just not fair. So as you could tell, I'm a little bit loopy. Uh, I'm a little bit overwhelmed by the, the heat, which is back up to 112 degrees. But I'm ready to take all sorts of great questions from the open floor mail at gmail.com listeners. I am just glad that you are still alive after, what is it? I think you've been out there like 11 or 12 days, just bunkered down. And honestly, my favorite moment of the summer came like late last week when a bunch of our coworkers were out in Los Angeles for the SI Fashionable 50 party. And so everybody's out there on the red carpet, mingling with celebrities, taking selfies. And meanwhile, you are like still just hunkered down in Thomas and Mac, just holding down the media table, ready to take like random stalker photos of Ben Simmons, just living the dream out there in Summer League. Yeah. Well, who wants to do interviews with Kevin Love on the red carpet in beautiful Los Angeles when you could be, you know, banging out 1500 word love letters to Jaron Jackson Jr. in the future <laughs> of the Memphis Grizzlies? Come on, let's get our priorities straight here, Andrew. Exactly. Exactly. And so for that reason, because you put the time in, I'm happy that you got at least a LeBron appearance out of it. And you you did. You went viral because it was you and like three other people who were there to see it and, and see LeBron with those Lakers shorts, which I it was funny. The Lakers shorts, they had like the Lakers logo across the crotch. And I will give LeBron credit. He pulled it off and he looked really cool. But I did think to myself like, wow, he looks really cool, and then a beat pass, and I was like, I could never wear those shorts without looking like a complete idiot. So congrats to LeBron for being much cooler than I am. Well, look, let's, first of all, you're not in sales and marketing for this company because crotch logo is not what we're going to go with <laughs> as the selling point. We might call it the I'm logo, saying, logo on the front. It's a weird look. I, it's a little bit of a weird look. I didn't think that was the style, but apparently LeBron is trying to make it happen now. Well, what I liked about his shorts, and this is a subtle detail that uh, – you only get if you're in true paparazzi fashion like I was they have pockets Andrew and I've always wanted those official Mm. like nice Mitchell Ness shorts to have pockets so much more functional if you want to walk around in like you know 2006ers shorts who doesn't all day long and you you need to carry your wallet and (laughs) you know your chapstick and all the other things now you've got pockets to do it you know what man that's a great point 
and the sort of thing that's only appreciated by like sports writers and other people who just kind of refuse to completely embrace adulthood and insist on living life wearing basketball shorts like 75% of the time because basketball shorts with pockets are really a huge win and it's very frustrating when you buy like a really nice pair of basketball shorts and they don't have pockets and you have to carry all your stuff everywhere it's a real pain in the ass so i appreciate the 500 hundred dollar lakers short company for seeing the future and helping us out that's what i'm saying you know shout out to just dawn and mitchell and ness what a collab right andrew let's get our brand <laughs> let's get our brands checked right now uh, no i think that we really are trying to steer our audience towards like fashion in mullet form you know i want business on top you can wear a dress shirt but i want party down below with the basketball <laughs> shorts i think that is really the 21st century fashion craze that we're trying to spark but you mentioned being one of like the last sole survivors uh you know in las vegas it's amazing uh-huh. how few people are left like they're running this big tournament like the lakers are putting on this amazing triple overtime game the other night um and you know it was very entertaining for like the 400 fans who were there and like the six media members who were remaining i want to give a shout out to rob perez people know him as worldwide Wa. i followed him on twitter for years i'm sure everybody follows him you know he's he's everywhere it yeah. really felt like you know meeting a long lost sibling andrew like he it was like looking at myself in the mirror because here we were like stalking LeBron's entryway like trying to get in the right position for the angles to get the little walk in video uh here we are laughing at uh you know Mitchell Robinson's block shots and he's ready to build a statue for Kevin Knox because obviously he's a big uh Knicks fan it really felt like a true flavor of deranged NBA fan that I rarely come across and it, it was great to to, to find a buddy so i made yes. i made one friend in las vegas that was the moral of that story it took me two weeks to make one friend <laughs> but i did it shared suffering is the way to create the most enduring bonds in life and i guess that's what happened there i mean all of this is something of a cry for help but i'm mostly just happy that you're okay um and yeah, I, I will never a... forget i'll never forget the memories from guantanamo and mac arena that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> well we have a lot to get to today I will give you an opening here to just share a couple like off the top of your head takeaways from Summer League before we move to the rest of the questions. Do you have anything or is can you form coherent thoughts at this point? I do have one take actually now that now that we're talking about this um, and you're talking about how long it's gone and like the lack of energy. I'm not sure Summer League needs to be two weeks long i don't know why they couldn't just like have the championship game on sunday do you have any thoughts there um well they have to get 82 games nationally televised so it's uh you know they have to use the 12 (laughs) days no i it's too big it's too long there's no question about it they've tried to make it as condensed as possible to fulfill a 30 team format but it's it's definitely overload and I I think they're just going to keep going bigger and bigger, though, Andrew. I think pretty soon this is going to be like a six-week event that, you know, is in multiple locations and we have to fly all over the place for the, you know, Eastern Conference Summer League Finals and Western Conference Summer League Finals. I see no end in sight. Um, but I think my biggest takeaway, you know, in terms of like on-the-court stuff is you and I have been very disappointed, or at least I've been very disappointed, and I think you're kind of getting there in terms of LeBron supporting cast in L.A. Like the veterans... 
kind of a whoopee cushion sound, you know, coming out of their free agency moves, right? Like Rondo, Stevenson, JaVale McGee, as those have sank in, it's just kind of gotten sad, right? There is more young talent on this Lakers roster than most people realize. I think it starts with Josh Hart, who's going to win MVP. There's really no question about it. He's been the leading scorer at Summer League. He's just been way too good. But this guy, Svi, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name because I think he's already reached like one name Summer League legend status. He definitely, definitely has. I think it's Svi Michalik, uh, but that's definitely wrong too. But <laughs> you, you had the right idea. Let's just skip the last name. He's Svi. Yeah, just call him Michaelic Jordan, okay? He hit six three-pointers <laughs> in the semifinals against Cleveland, balling out. I mean, this guy pulls up from everywhere, uh, you know, stop and pop jumpers, you know, very unselfish, moves the ball. Like, yes, I know it's summer league. Everyone's thinking I'm, I'm sounding like, uh, you know, complete Stockholm Syndrome here because I've had to watch the Lakers like five times in the last seven nights, but he's a baller. Like, there's going to be ways for him to be helpful uh, next season and going forward, uh, you know, to a guy like LeBron. So I think if we've sort of uh, become a little bit too disappointed about LA's veterans, I think as a collective NBA universe, we're all underrating LA's young talent. To me, that was sort of the biggest takeaway from this week. Yeah, I agree with that to some degree. Um, and I mean, I don't think the Lakers are going to be as hopeless as some of the haters seem to think they will be. Um, I, I think another thing that jumped out at me from summer league, most of which I'm experiencing through your Twitter account and Instagram, but watching LeBron say what up to Brandon Ingram on the baseline, which again, you meticulously documented. uh, It was a reminder, like LeBron is basically getting a version of last year's calves that is 10 years younger and a lot more athletic. And they're going to be able to do some things. They're not, it's not going to be completely hopeless. But I should, I I would like to take one minute to clarify my Lakers stance because we had a number of people (laughs) write in at the end of last week's podcast and say like... This is what happens when I get death threats from my Lakers takes, and then you come back around and take my Lakers takes a week later, you're going to get death threats. That's just (laughs) how it works. Let me tell you something. I was agreeing with one element of what you were saying about the Lakers move, which is that LeBron right now is thinking very big picture and is kind of imagining this as more than just a basketball play. But that does not mean it's not a basketball play for LeBron. And I think you're starting to see that too, where like there are some young pieces that are going to be pretty interesting for him. And I'm still broadly pro Lakers move for LeBron. And I think it was the best long-term basketball fit for what he's trying to do. All I was saying last week is that we're still only working with half the story right now and watching various media try to fill in the narrative gaps has been a little bit strange. And I understand like everybody has a job to do and we everyone has to write something, but I just I think the Lakers move right now is a, is more bizarre than it is cool and I mean LeBron still isn't speaking publicly. Half the young guys have been mentioned in trade rumors. Lonzo leaked his own injury news to try and stay in L.A. They're starting JaVale fucking McGee at center next season. Like, it's just a really weird time. And I think it's, if you're describing that, 
I, that's where I, the story should start right now, and we'll see what it turns into in three or four or six months, you know, or or a year. Yeah, I think the story starts with LeBron and Sfi. That's all you need to win the title. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, you, you're raising good points here. I think I really felt a lot of urgency on behalf of the Lakers to get that Kawhi trade done, you know, in that first week, and that was really coloring a lot of, you know, my my takes. I can uh, admit that that has cooled a little bit, you know, seeing how some of these guys have played. A good comparison, I would say, is not to the Cavaliers from last year, but to the original Cavaliers that LeBron went back to, right? Because to me, that roster was a train wreck. I mean, do you remember as like Kyrie, Dion Waiters, super young Tristan Thompson had never done anything, and LeBron brought a lot out of those guys. The Lakers are working with more chips and more talented players than that Cavaliers roster was. Maybe they don't have a Kyrie Irving, but they have a lot of guys who can be good, who, who can be made a lot better by LeBron. So I think there is, you know, some reason for for hope. I guess, you know, the other counter to that would be they have to learn on the fly in the Western Conference. And to me, that's sort of what's scary as opposed to, you know, pulling the most out of a Kyrie and a Tristan in the Eastern Conference where, you know, LeBron can pretty much just be a one-man show and, and get through the the playoffs like he did in, in 2015. So there are some comparisons. There are some contrasts there. But, uh, yeah. you know, well, overall, it's not the end of the world. Generally, what you're saying is that the young guys are worth waiting on. And just if you're the Lakers, like, let's see what we have with that crew. And that I always agreed with. Um, I mean, obviously, if, if you can go get Kawhi, try to do that and make that happen. But, uh, but I, I totally understand that approach. It's really just signing JaVale and Lance that doesn't make any sense to me. I can, I can even talk myself into Rondo. I just have never been a fan of those yeah. other two guys. The no meeting, fine. the no meeting with Paul George was scary too, because it's like, well, wait a minute, yeah, like, and that's that probably says more about Paul George than it does about the exactly. Lakers. Actually, it definitely says more about Paul George than it does about the Lakers, but it still was a little bit scary. Hey, can I point out real quick the biggest loser of summer league, and that would be, can you guess? Um, I would have said Dragon Bender. I just one last thing. It is amazing. Credit to our guy Sfi for single-handedly turning you on the Lakers and forcing you to talk yourself back into what they're building <laughs> no, out there. I'm not doing Nothing all that. says more about what he accomplished in Vegas. But go on, tell me the biggest loser. Uh, to be clear, I'm not doing all that. But the biggest loser, Dragon Bender is an excellent nominee. I wish I had thought of that, but the okay. biggest loser was Lavar Ball, Andrew. Why? He was the king of Vegas last summer. You remember Lonzo's changing the shoes. I'm chasing LeVar around with my TMZ videos, trying to get his reaction to Lonzo's triple-double. <laughs> yep. He is like the center of the universe. Big baller brand t-shirts are everywhere. Life was good for LeVar. He had grandmaster plans of putting LiAngelo and LaMelo on the Lakers. Like Everyone was calling him a prophet for nailing Lonzo to uh, L.A. You know, months in advance. This year, he's nowhere to be found in Vegas. Lonzo shows up wearing a plain red t-shirt, no big baller brand chain, no big baller brand hat. He actually looks like he's sort of, you know, stepping into his own as a, an adult, which was, you know, frankly, nice to see for Lonzo, but, you know, kind of a rebuke to everything his dad stands for. Meanwhile, LeVar is running this like junior basketball association, which is making headlines because a coach is like physically confronting a player during a game, like basically like almost coming to blows. And then on top of that, LeVar's shtick 
has basically, you know, hit a brick wall. I mean, he was trying to say in a recent interview that he thought he could beat LeBron one-on-one back in his heyday, but those comments, which are pretty outrageous if you think about them, given that LeBron just joined the Lakers and may wind up pushing Lonzo out, really didn't get that much traction, not nearly as much as they would have, you know, six or 12 months ago. And you'll remember the listeners were super mad at me for saying, look, LeVar is a story. We have to cover him like a story, Uh, you know, back during sort of like the peak madness around him. I guess Mm -hmm. my point now is it really feels like LeVar is no longer the story. He's been completely eclipsed by LeBron. Lonzo had to have this knee surgery, which kind of throws – uh, you know, potentially his role up in the air. Now Rondo's maybe coming for his minutes and the backcourt's fairly crowded because you have to make time for Josh Hart and, and KCP and all the rest of them. Uh, the LeVar rise and fall might have happened much more quickly than I originally anticipated. Yeah, well, thank goodness for that. If it's real, I'm a little wary of declaring victory on ejecting LeVar Ball from our lives uh, because who knows what's possible when (laughs) everything starts up. Just like the termites, they can always sneak back in. You never know. Yeah, exactly. Like, let's wait and see. But I have enjoyed kind of a LeVar-free six months here, and I'm not sure why exactly it's died down. I do think... With LeBron out there, LeBron is actually famous. LeVar has always been kind of like viral famous. And I think we're going to see the difference between the two next year. Where like LeBron is going to be completely inescapable. And he does kind of reduce LeVar to a footnote. Which he should have been all along. So let's knock on wood. And hopefully we can keep this going. Uh, because I in, in small doses here and there, LeVar is okay. And I really did enjoy watching you <laughs> chasing him around Summer League last summer. And uh, so I, I don't want him gone entirely, but it's been nice to have him back on the margins. I think that's a healthier place for him to be for all of our sakes, um, and particularly Lonzo's sake. Yeah, I'm just but, waiting I'm waiting for Lonzo to turn his diss tracks to his dad. I mean, that's the move, right? If you really no, want to like spark no. some uh, outrage. We're not <laughs> We're not rooting for the family to be torn apart. I think we're all in an in an okay place as it stands right Come now. Come on. That that would make for a great Facebook live episode, man. That'd be great. <laughs> it would force me to finally listen to Lonzo's rap. Moving on now, beyond Summer League, I hate to pry you away. We've got this question from Dan who says Hey guys, I've been listening to the podcast since the final sweep, and I find that the 76ers are only ever mentioned in passing. That being said, the Sixers' moves this offseason have been creative at best and completely baffling at worst. I appreciate J.J. Redick taking half last year's salary to re-sign this offseason, but what's up with letting Bellinelli and Ilyasova walk and signing Nemanja Belitsa? And then trading cash in a second-round pick for Wilson Chandler and a second-round pick. Uh, what is happening here? Did the Sixers get better? Ben, what do you think uh, of what's gone on in Philadelphia? Obviously, this came in before the news that Nemanja Belitsa, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, this came in before the news that he like did not sign his contract because of visa issues never went through a physical and elected to stay in Europe uh, out of nowhere, which he told the Sixers this morning, Tuesday morning. Um, 
First of all, that's a very Sixers timeline. It fits with the chaos we've seen elsewhere in Philly this summer. How much do you think any of this matters? How much does it matter that Bielitsa's got visa issues? I don't see that (laughs) changing the NBA (laughs) title forecast for next year. I just don't. But I think, Dan, it might not be completely correct because we've mentioned the 76ers in a little bit more than passing. I mean, you might remember their GM got blown up in the most embarrassing front office episode in the NBA in years thanks to his burner accounts. And I think that wound up being the defining moment for their summer. I mean, whatever their major plan was in terms of, you know, Brett Brown taking to the podium repeatedly saying, hey, we're going to go chase superstars. This is our summer and on and on and on. That didn't happen. Wilson Chandler and almost getting Bielitsa, boy, that was close, uh, (laughs) doesn't count, does not qualify. And this franchise had built built up a lot of positive momentum over the second half of the season and going into the playoffs. And it felt like they ran into a brick wall this summer. But I'll be honest, the person who I'm most frustrated in all of this is Markel Fultz. He should have been playing in Summer League. He could have dominated. It's the perfect place to work through the yips. He could have crushed all these unsuspecting rookies. He could have you know, won tournament MVP honors and sort of reinstilled hope into what Philly's trying to build. And, you know, really getting everybody like, you know, excited for this Boston Philly rivalry that's probably going to dominate for like the next five years. Instead, mm-hmm. he sits out because he's supposedly, quote unquote, working on his jumper. I mean, he's been working on his jumper for an awful long time. I'm getting sick of it. And that that to me was the big bummer because I think their summer could have been pitched as a real positive in the hype machine by saying, look, they're getting a number one pick back healthy. He crushed it in Vegas. He's going to be you know, a gigantic X factor. Who cares about all these other moves? Instead, yeah. there's a vacuum, and we're left to talk about, you know, Colangelo and his wife and the burner accounts and their, you know, boring kind of, you know, sideways moving summer. And it's just a lot less interesting. Well, okay. Obviously, the scenario you laid out is the ideal, but if you're the Sixers, I'd be curious to know which side made the decision for Fultz not to play in Vegas because it it easily could have been the Sixers who said, look, we want to keep you on the sidelines here and just focus on your development and we'll check back in September. Yeah, let's keep him rested and healthy for his retirement, okay? We don't want him him actually playing basketball under any circumstances. if, If you're trying to potentially trade him, like... You don't want to risk him going out and looking crappy in summer league uh, in his second year. That's tougher to come back from, as we've seen with well, guys like Henry Ellenson and Dragon Bender, who are now like two steps out, uh, two steps away from being out of the league. Like, I, I, and I'm not saying Fultz is close to that, but it's the type of thing that like. You just want to preserve any mystery you can at this point if you're Philly. And granted, it could have been Fultz's side who said we're not playing in Vegas, in which case I think that your criticisms are more applicable. Um, I don't know, though. I, I think generally speaking, I mean, look, the, the news also came out that they went after Maury and were quickly rebuffed uh, by either Maury or Houston. And it, it just... This has been a really embarrassing summer for the Sixers, and it's not a disaster necessarily because there's still all kinds of potential as long as Simmons and Embiid are there and healthy. But, I mean, even midway through Summer League, when Josh Harris comes out and is talking up the meeting they got with LeBron, I mean, that's got to lead to, like, 
league-wide snickers among yeah, well, anyone who paid attention to that whole process. Because it wasn't a meeting with LeBron. <laughs> it exactly. Was just like, LeBron wasn't in the room. Come on. <laughs> I know. Well, the more he thinks even worse because, like, Hinky's his ride-or-die homie. Like, those guys no are going to be doing math equations till the bitter end. You know, like, they are always going to be, like, linked up like that. And you're going to try to go after Moria. I mean, that must have been a very quick conversation what a complete lack of self-awareness uh from who's ever doing that reaching out i mean what a joke but uh no i i, I hear what you're saying about trying to preserve the mystery of markel fultz this is not an entertaining mystery andrew <laughs> like this guy needs to show us he can still play basketball i mean i think that we're at that point if he's gonna have <laughs> any trade value he needs to go out there and dribble and you know drive past someone and make a layup i mean let's start there uh, I think we've seen the same thing with the Kawhi Leonard thing, frankly. like, yeah, He's been so far off the radar and so hard to reach and so weird and whatever his demands are behind the scenes that a lot of teams are like, you know what? like, This is just too much uh, risk for us to, uh, to swallow. And I think Fultz is in a similar spot. And I just thought it was such a bad look to be sitting there at every single game. I mean, the lowest mo- point of the entire tournament was him sitting side by side with Jaleel Okafor it was like can you imagine that conversation like here's some tips on how to be a washout like what are they even talking about and I think you know at that point if you're the Sixers no I mean let's be real you're trying to say oh the Sixers don't want him to play do you think the Sixers wanted him sitting courtside with Jaleel Okafor no the way and that I went? said that I said that two weeks ago or whenever summer league actually began I, I said that was not a great look for Fultz and he should have just stayed in Southern California and kept doing what he'd been doing for the past six weeks and I I don't know man I I'm with you I think that the issue with the Sixers is that individually any of these screw-ups or mistakes they not it's probably not the right word just missed opportunities let's say that any of these missed opportunities are not necessarily a big deal, including Belitza. Uh, but altogether, it you know it's harder to pretend that this offseason was anything but a failure, and Fultz is included in that. Um, although I, I I would downplay that element of it more than you have. Um, but I just think that it's. The, the Sixers are in a tricky spot right now. I mean, I had dinner with Spike Eskin last week, the beating heart of all Sixers, and I was trying to talk through some of this with him. I just have a bad feeling about where this is headed, in part because so many Sixers fans and so many people around the NBA generally saw they won 52 games last year and now just think it's a given that they're going to go win 55 games and they're being penciled in as like the second best team in the East. And I don't know, there's a lot of uncertainty there because like Bellinelli and Ilyasova, I mean, I'm not saying Philly should have gone out and overpaid to keep those guys, but they were very important role players and a big reason that that team jumped from like a 43 win team to 52 wins and they're gone. And it's like, Belitza is probably one of those guys who's better in theory than in real life, but it, this is all of this is kind of a reminder that it's very difficult to just roll things over year after year and maintain flexibility and get guys to come play on one-year deals. I think okay. that's the lesson of the Sixers summer. Two thoughts. Number one, you got to relax about Bielitsa. It doesn't matter, okay? It just no, doesn't. Like, it I'm just does saying, not matter. I'm not Either saying, way. 
Look, Belitsa, <laughs> neither one of us have any idea how to say it. No, his name. I do know how to pronounce it. I've been trying to say it properly this entire time, hoping that I could kind of convince you and like implant the <laughs> correct pronunciation into your brain, but you reject it at all times. I have long standing issues with pronunciation. Either way, the dude from the Wolves is not actually a good player, but Ilya Sova was actually good for them and they're going to have trouble replacing him and that's that's the issue and the, and they shouldn't have signed someone else i mean and it and it's good that they didn't go and sink 100 million dollars into Zach Levine after they struck out with like Kawhi and and LeBron and Paul George but there's a real possibility that next year's Sixers team takes a step back as a result of what they lost yeah, I mean, I think, you know, assuming good health, I think they'd probably be in a similar spot wins-wise, but this was a team we thought was building to the Eastern Conference Finals or the Finals for sure, yeah. and I and I think it's fair to say that they didn't make it there. I'm not sure I'm ready to, like, nitpick over them losing Ilyasova or Bellinelli or whoever else. I think the bigger point from their summer is to keep up with Boston and Golden State, you can't make big mistakes, okay? You have to have everything right. We've seen this with everyone who's tried to kind of like, you know, keep up with the Warriors for the last couple of years. They nail all the big stuff and all the little stuff. They leave you with no margin for error. And to me, if I look at an organization that has a screwy ownership group that's chasing Daryl Morey, that, you know, had Brian Colangelo in such a weird position where, you know, he gets blown up at the worst possible time for them. And then... You know, they've got this roster where they've got some clearly established stars, but not a ton of supporting cast around them, uh, you know, especially compared to the depth in Boston or Golden State. It's hard to expect the Sixers to be on the level with those elite teams when they have those major sort of fundamental flaws. And the burden is now on them to prove that they're not dysfunctional, right? Like they have to go out and make a killer GM hire. They have to have a ton of success, you know, in the trade market, you know, adding some other pieces, backing up what Brett Brown was sort of promising over these last couple of months. And I'm skeptical that they're going to be able to do it. This summer did not go well for them. And no matter how they want to spin the LeBron friend meeting or whatever else, this was a loss. Yeah, and it's not fatal long term. It does it I would add though that it does put pressure on Embiid and Simmons to come back and be better than they were last year. And and if that happens, if Simmons comes back and he's like a top ten player all year all year long and he's all NBA level and Embiid, like there was a, a a quarter in that elimination game against Boston where Embiid just looked like a complete monster and he was getting wherever he wanted to go and he was he wasn't exhausted. It was one of the few stretches in that series where he actually looked like he was in shape and could keep up with Boston. Like if he's that guy all year long, they will be fine and they'll win fifty five games. But there's just more uncertainty than I think people are acknowledging with where Philly is right now. Hey, Andrew, you know what time it is? It's time what? for my favorite segment, Andrew Sharp Reports, the 30-second straight-from-your-gut <laughs> take, because I could hear in your voice a little bit of doubt when you were saying, you know, if Ben Simmons becomes, like, you know, a top-10 player, da 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 well, you, what you left unsaid was what you really think Ben Simmons is going to look like in year two. And everybody remembers in year one the infamous fist fight at training camp where you guys were basically duking it out like <laughs> Ali and Frazier over Simmons's uh, role, over his Hold lack on. of a jumper. So what I want to hear from you is no messing around, no equivocating, just pure unadulterated Andrew Sharp reports truth about what Ben Simmons is going to look like in year two. 
no. Here's here's the unadulterated truth, okay? I, as far as Ben Simmons is concerned, I think he's going to be an awesome regular season player for the next three or four years, and we're going to have to wait and see on the playoff side. I'm not, I'm, I'm not particularly optimistic. It's fine if others are, and I'm that's that take is not hot enough for this particular segment. But what I will say is that I've listened to a lot of Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcasts this summer. And at uh, at one point in every podcast, Mike Levin, my former roommate and still good friend, will say the Sixers won 52 games last year, and like we're fine, everything is okay. And every time he says that, in the back of my mind, I think, well, okay, they're losing like half of the guys that made that season possible, and it's fine to say that the Sixers are okay long-term, but the Sixers are not going to win 52 games next season. They are going to take a step back and win like 46 or 47. They'll still be okay, but I think everybody should just be prepared for that. That's what I've been trying to sort of hint at, and thank you for bringing out the truth. Yes, this is why we've been getting dozens of emails to openfloormail at gmail.com begging for more Andrew Sharp reports takes because here's what we have. Ben Simmons, not a playoff uh, playoff player. (laughs) Philly, regressing in the standings, will never match last year's win total. And by the way, the second half of your rotation sucks, and it's brand new. Thank you, Andrew, for bringing the heat. That was great. See how much fun this is? Sure. (laughs) Whatever. Um, Let's keep it moving, though, beyond the Sixers uh, to a potential Sixers target. I think, look, now that they lost out on our guy, Belitza, um, still getting that just horribly wrong, uh, they could go after... Kevin Love, or they could re-enter the Kawhi sweepstakes. Joseph says, how big of a flex would it be for Kawhi Leonard to show up and play for Greg Popovich and Team USA at the USA Trials as if he's 100% healthy and has been all along? Um, I'll start here. Joseph, I don't really think there would be a flex at all. I don't think Kawhi is in a position where he can flex. I mean, I think the last like 12 to 16 months have been so weird that we're going to need him to like show up and be a regular person for a couple months before anything he does is cool. What do you think, Ben? Well, I've been to a bunch of these USA basketball mini camps over the years, maybe five, six, seven, something like that. Um, one thing people may or may not know, it's a very catty, like high school gym, mean girl style environment among the players because uh-huh. you have so much talent all in one place that the clicks form instantly. So people might remember the famous video of Kevin Durant and Paul George and James Harden going one on one on one. You know, they kind of had their own little click. And, you know, LeBron and Melo and Chris Paul, that used to be a click. You know, you probably heard of the banana boat. Uh, this is a very common thing. And, you know, the younger guys, you know, kind of congregate together. The Warriors guys might congregate together. This is how it goes. I'm picturing Kawhi standing in the corner of the gym, facing the wall all by himself for like three hours at this point. Like, (laughs) I mean, really, where has he been, first of all? And then if he shows up, what does he say? Like, not only what does he say to Greg Popovich, but what does he say to his fellow stars? Like, welcome me back i'm so happy to be here let's go chase gold like i won't even sit i won't even sit on the bench for the spurs during the playoffs but now i'm gonna go get a gold medal i mean i don't know to me that's kind of what i mean if he shows up as if everything's all good and he's just ready to go out there and start for team usa 
people are actually going to be more weirded out and be like, dude, where the hell have you been? What's going on? Why hasn't anyone heard from you since like one random interview you gave to the San Antonio newspapers in January? And like, he's going to have more explaining to do at that point. No question. Well, it was last summer or two summers ago when Draymond Green had to call a team meeting to apologize for taking a picture of his genitalia. <laughs> it was and a really it on social media. Olympic summer for Draymond because <laughs> he was also right. awful in those Olympics. Yeah, so if Draymond can like man up and give that kind of a speech to his fellow teammates, do we have to expect the same from Kawhi? I mean, I do think there's some level of obligation and responsibility to your teammates in this environment. I mean, these guys do take it pretty seriously. It's a real-time commitment. Guys yeah. kill to get those spots. Like If Kawhi wants to be on that team, I think he has to have some sort of a, a message prepared for his teammates, and that doesn't seem like it's really been his forte well, lately. I have no idea what he would say. Not teammates, but Popovich is the coach. I mean, well, yeah, that, it's that a part, really that, uncomfortable I mean, that part's, dynamic. That speaks for itself, though. Like We realize that those guys are probably going to have to have a fake hug, and Popovich is probably already preparing his zingers, You know, it, whether Kawhi shows up or not. But I guess you my point what, is... Kawhi owes everybody hug, here. I don't know if a fake hug is going to do it for Kawhi at, at that at this point. I think there that relationship might be so broken that this could be like Pop is MJ and Kawhi is Isaiah Thomas, and like he is a deal breaker in an Olympic setting. And who knows if that's actually true? I mean, Pop is potentially a lot more mature than like twenty eight year old Jordan was. But uh, the one thing that I would add is. Kawhi, like one of the few details that we have gotten out of San Antonio is that Kawhi didn't feel like Jordan Brand was giving him enough money and a new sneaker deal is important to him. And if a sneaker deal is important to him, I mean, that's like more than half the value of playing for Team USA at this point. That's why Team USA has been able to get more talent over the last 12 or 15 years. And uh, that is going to... so like there's real incentive for him to show up and try to make this work. I just don't know if that's possible given everything that's happened. I'm not sure if a question could be a hot take, but I'm going to try my best here. Do you <laughs> even want Kawhi Leonard representing USA basketball? Oh my God. That is <laughs> the, the true Spurs fan is coming out in you there. Uh, yes. I think Kawhi would be awesome on team USA. Although I the the longer we go, we've been over this, and so we should probably just move on. I the the longer we go, the less convinced I am that he's at all healthy because I feel like we would have seen some random workout footage or something to try and like hype this up and and move the trade talks along, and that hasn't happened. So look, I definitely don't want like a gimpy Kawhi Leonard out there representing Team USA. We have too many awesome options beyond him. Yeah, I'm just saying, like Uncle Dennis, you know, traveling the world, you know, barnstorming <laughs> with USA basketball. I don't know. Like, you know, I think at some point you have to ask yourself, like, is it worth it, right? I mean, I yeah. I kind of felt that way about, you know, Draymond when, during his whole flap, too. It's like, that is a major platform. Like, there are certain standards they've tried to hold guys to in the past. I mean, uh, Coach K was probably, like, over the top in how he preached a lot of that stuff. But uh, I think Kawhi has a lot to answer for here. And... Part of me wonders if he'll actually show up. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's the cynic in me. Maybe that's the skeptic. Uh, I just wonder, like, you know, that's a lot of awkwardness. It's a lot of scrutiny. Uh, no it's a lot of, like, personal uh, relationships to sort of have to mend on the fly. And it would be pretty easy to just pull, you know, like a LaMarcus Aldridge or some of these other guys who always kind of, like, bail out at the last minute. 
That would be the easy route. So let's see if Kawhi takes the easy route. Well, and not only that, another one of the few details that we've gotten from this the past year in San Antonio is that like once the players and Tony Parker and Manu were apparently leading the charge and had like a team meeting with Kawhi to be like, what the hell is going on? Once that conversation happened, it got uncomfortable and Kawhi bounced and just never looked back and, and never showed up at Spurs games and skipped the playoffs. And so like, clearly awkwardness has already kind of played a role in, in how some of this has played out. I will just um, give you a quick update from Woj and Ramona Shelburne, who reported on this today and said that the bidding war among Boston, Philadelphia, and the Lakers never materialized for the Spurs. The Los Angeles Clippers, Denver Nuggets, Phoenix Suns, Portland Trailblazers, Toronto Raptors, and Washington Wizards are among teams who've talked with San Antonio, league sources said. And um, who knows when this trade will actually happen. I will say that you are leaving to go on some sort of uh, wilderness trip and uh, are going off the grid like almost as soon as we finish this podcast. And there's not a doubt in my mind that like 15 minutes after you disappear into the forest, Kawhi is going to get traded. So maybe maybe you're the person who's going to jinx us into something real finally happening. Well, if that happens, it'll be fantastic. I'm actually leaving on Wednesday for a park that has been described as, quote unquote, a great place to film the moon landing. So I'm very excited. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea what that means. (laughs) It's just apparently it looks like there's craters and like it looks like the moon. So if you wanted to stage the moon landing, that's where you'd do it. Um, So I'm very excited for that. But yeah, there is a pretty good chance. I'll be leaving on Wednesday or returning on Sunday. So if you're a Kauai trade uh, you know, if you're following that with bated breath, the trade will happen sometime in that window. But don't worry, yes. Andrew. I'll find a way to do an emergency podcast. You know me. I'm always down for the cause. <laughs> Live from the surface of the moon, Ben Golliver checking in to hate on Kawhi Leonard. Um, moving on, though. Uh, Liam says, on last week's podcast, you said that Big Head Baghetti of the Chicago Bulls falling backwards into <laughs> Wendell Carter could not be more Bulls. And as a longtime fan, I can tell you that the signing of Jabari Parker is way more bulls. <laughs> Does any other roster have $40 million tied up in two worse players or three worse knees than the Bulls with Zach Levine and Jabari Parker next season? So what do you think, man? I, I wrote something like cautiously optimistic about the state of the bulls last friday and then right on cue fucking gar foreman and paxton go like 12 hours later or i guess it was 24 hours later the news hit saturday that the bulls are paying jabari parker 20 million dollars next season for some reason and to me it's just a reminder to not trust this front office whatsoever. It's not like a a fatal blow to the long-term outlook, but um I just I don't see like the incentive for the Bulls to do this. Yeah, I'm right there with Liam. I mean, my spidey senses were tingling in Las Vegas cuz the Bulls beat guys were starting to, to to whisper about, "Oh, something big is coming." Oh. oh. And I, <laughs> like as soon as they said that, I was like, "Well, it's obvious what's coming. They're going to sign a guy with bad knees." 
and you know a hometown angle to a ludicrously large contract that they're going to get excited about and pitch as a big homecoming and it's going to wind up being a, a, a you know on balance uh, a disappointment and kind of a waste of time i mean the, the derrick rose thing the Dwayne wade thing it's just kind of like all fits it's peak bulls there's no question about it i think from them i don't really see the upside because the guys are trying to build around whether it's Lowry, Levine, Parker, none of those guys can defend one position, let alone two or three positions, right? So if you're putting yep. them out there in the lineups, like you can pick on everyone. Like everyone's like the weakest link with that group, right? Like you can get any switch you want, you can get any individual matchup you want to exploit. Uh, I think it's going to be a mess. And then I think offensively, those guys all share some similar questions, which is. There might be good individual players, but do their own individual offensive success translate to team success, right? Yeah. Like, are they I able mean, to, like, basically take their own individual scoring and be part of a greater collective? I don't think Levine can do it. I'm skeptical that uh, that Jabara can do it. And I'm a little bit more uh, bullish on Lowry, maybe because your thought process is starting to infect my brain a little bit. I think uh -huh. he could be part of a good offense. But when you don't have a guy to really play make and set all these guys up, and they're all basically sort of one-on-one -on -one players, that seems like a recipe for a bad overall offense, an offense that leaves you thinking that the whole is actually less than the sum of the parts. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's actually my biggest issue with it is obviously – they are going to be apocalyptically awful on defense. But even offensively, I'm not sure what the idea is here because Jabari's best role is as a four who's kind of taking advantage of mismatches. But he, in a lot of ways, he, he, he does a lot of the same things that make Lowry Markkinen dangerous. And I, I think Lowry projects to just be better at all the things that Jabari does. And... Um, I don't like the Levine thing I could talk myself into at, at least as like a gamble that's worth waiting on. And maybe in two years he fixes some of the holes in his game and becomes even more consistent as a pull-up shooter and becomes like legitimately dangerous. And there's, there's a chance at least that, that that pays off. Um, Jabari, I am less bullish on, um, pardon the pun, but to me, I just he kind of feels like the Jaleel Okafor of wings, um, and that's very mean. Uh, but I just he's bad on defense and not efficient on offense, and he's coming off two bad injuries, and uh, it's scary, man. I like I think he's he is clearly like a really good guy, and Chicago it, it will root for him next year. But to me, there's just no, there's not a lot of upside here because even if if he does play really well, that takes the Bulls to like maybe eighth or ninth in the East, and then you have to decide what you're going to re-sign him at. And the price point is now twenty million dollars for some reason. And we talked about this on the last podcast, like who's going to pay Jabari? <laughs> Clearly, we forgot to consider Gar and Pax. But I mean, even if even if Jabari plays well, he's not going to be the type of dude who's worth paying twenty million dollars a year. And even if they try to renegotiate the deal, like you're still ultimately going to be overpaying if you're Chicago bringing him back, and uh, it's just not great. Yeah, I felt like they paid maybe like twice as much as they should have for what he's worth as a player. But my big issue with their their franchise right now, in terms of the way their roster is constructed, is like picture 
a diner during the lunch rush, right? Like everybody needs to eat. Like Zach needs to eat offensively or he gives you nothing. Parker needs to eat or he gives you nothing. Lowry needs to eat uh, or he's not going to give you very much, right? And then also you want to have a guy like Wendell Carter Jr. involved on offense because he's helpful. You want to give him touches and bring him along. You don't want to just say, hey, you have to do all the dirty work because that's kind of selling him short, right? And the problem is like during that lunch rush diner analogy, you want to have your best waiter on staff. You want the guy who's like running and handing a, you know, getting a check and making change. He's bringing out the, you know, the boxes of leftovers. <laughs> like he's doing everything simultaneously. He's just got like the whole thing. Like he's in the zone for that lunch rush, right? Unfortunately, their waiter is Chris Dunn, who's going to be dropping plates, who's going to be trying to get his own. Like he's going to be taking like, you know, a half an hour smoke break right in the middle of it. Like that's not the guy you want We've running this very tightly. <laughs> Chris Sorry. Dunn is another guy who seems awesome, but just isn't the guy. And I hear you 100%. And the one guy to, to kind of bring this full circle before we move on to the Bucks side of it. What I would add is that Fred Hoiberg is the one who has been totally screwed in all of this because over the next few years, some of these bad ideas from the Bulls will probably kind of float off the roster. Whether I mean, Jabari, this sounds like it's going to be a one-year thing, and it's not fatal. Um, and they're still going to be Wendell Carter and Lowry Markinen at the center, who I think are really like worth building around, and that's pro- they're like ninety percent of the reason I care about any of this. But poor Fred Hoiberg, man, has gotten stuck with like different versions of a Bulls suicide squad every single year. And now, I mean, people in Chicago probably see Jabari slide into that three spot on the roster and and are going to start like really hyping themselves up. I mean. It's it's going to be a mess, and this poor guy ha- ha- just deserves better. Yeah, it's the most entertaining way of viewing the Bulls is as the type of movie where like the, the main character starts out as this nice, friendly guy. It's sort of like Breaking Bad, right? Like, oh, he's like the... <laughs> He's like the high school teacher. He's such a nice guy. And then by the end of it, he's completely deranged. He's lost his mind. He's an international drug dealer. That is the the path that Hoiberg is on right now. Like he started <laughs> off as he's really? the mayor of Ames. Like he's so friendly. He's too nice. Everybody loves him. By the end of it, he's going to be walking off the job so frustrated. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Fred Hoiberg has seen some shit, man. It's tough. Um, as for the Bucks side of this, though. Jake says, can you guys please talk about the unending incompetence of the Bucks front office slash ownership? They practically hand over Jabari to the Bulls on a platter, capping a four-year run of blown first-rounders that includes Jabari, Rashad Vaughn, Thon Maker, DJ Wilson, and it's all another example of a long line of poorly managed assets Giannis Inc. is facing an uphill battle with this front office. What did you think about the Bucks side of it? No, I mean, I think he said it. Like, there was a lot of, you know, kind of egregious decisions on the margins where, like, you're taking chances on guys and those chances immediately blow up in your face that kind of contributed to a situation where they weren't really prepared financially to do whatever it takes to keep Jabari. But I actually think they kind of dodged a bullet here. Like, I never really I saw agree. the fit. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. I had hopes for the fit of Giannis and Jabari, but following the most recent knee injury, they were just better without him. It was fine. And if his price is double 
what he should be paid. You know, if Chicago is willing to go that high just because they have the cap space, it's okay to let that one go. Now, I'm sure you could make a really strong argument, which you did for a while, that, hey, they should have tried to trade him early. You know, I'm kind of dubious of what his trade market actually would have been, you know, at various yeah. points as he was kind of coming back. But I think you would rather not have Jabari than pay Jabari 20, uh, given that you have other financial decisions coming and given that there really was no chemistry with him and Giannis. Like, they should be viewing everything through the Giannis lens. And personally, I would rather have both the Giannis's brother on the roster than Jabari, you know, just because everything should be catered around this guy because your whole mission in life is keeping him in Milwaukee. And I just don't think Jabari helps doing that. Yeah, um, I'm with you. And, you know, you mentioned it actually when we were talking through the Sixers stuff this summer. When you look at the best teams in the league, the Celtics and the Warriors, basically, um, they are both very, very smart. And they've also been very, very lucky along the way. And the Bucks have been neither. You know, I, this is not... It's not their fault for not signing Jabari this summer because that was obviously not the right move. But you look at the guys that they've drafted and it's pretty ghastly. It's like Jabari is Jabari made sense at the time. But Rashad Vaughn, Thon, DJ Wilson, they did have Malcolm Brogdon in the second round, which is a big win. But um, they just haven't done a very good job building around Giannis. And, uh, and they also... Like I've been on the trade Jabari bandwagon for a long time, but the Bucks got really unlucky in that regard because when Jabari blew out his knee, they couldn't trade him for like the twelve months where they probably would have gotten most serious about it, and uh, and that really kind of screwed them here. And so in that respect, like I think there are a lot of things that you can criticize the Bucks for, but this is not one of them. Even even mismanaging Jabari as a trade asset because they just didn't really have a window where it would have made sense. Yeah, I think that's well said. And I mean, I guess this is one of those situations where if you're a Bucks fan, you're not frustrated by losing Jabari. You're frustrated by the way the last five years have played out. And then you're yeah. worried that this is the foreshadowing of Giannis leaving, right? Because a lot of the things that we used to say about the Pelicans, especially when it got really dark, like... The Omera Sheik contract, Alexis Ajinka, like all these moves they were making, like with absolutely no purpose in mind. It's like, what are these guys trying to build to? Um, I think you can, you know, basically just like take that entire script and just slap it onto Milwaukee and say, here we go. Yeah. Um, well, listen, speaking of foreshadowing, moving on from the Bucks, uh, let's go to the Knicks to Christine, who says, Ben, you mentioned Kevin Knox in passing on the last podcast as someone who's getting good reviews from Summer League. Can you give a little bit more info to a Knicks fan starving for good news? What do you got? Yeah, no, I think go to YouTube, pull up his highlights because I think his highlight plays were really what popped from Summer League. I mean, he had some efficiency issues, uh, but I think he probably delivered more wow moments than any other player who was there. I mean, he's just going coast to coast and just like taking off for these breakneck dunks, getting way above the rim to finish lobs, looking very confident, breaking guys down off the dribble, uh, you know, using his length very well to like create opportunities around the basket. Just, you know, a much more developed uh, playmaker, you know, on the wing uh, than 
I think I expected or that the pre-draft analysis sort of led me to believe. Uh And I think part of the reason why he popped in Vegas was that so many of the top draft picks were big guys. There weren't very many good guards or ball handlers. And the wing crop was like mostly second year guys, like the guys who sort of stood out, right? So he was very unusual compared to the other talent here. And I think that kind of helped give him a boost. But I think on top of that, people were so excited about him because it finally seemed like New York might have a young core that they could really build around or use to attract people. And it was amazing to me, Andrew, how quickly people went from like, hey, Kevin Knox looks better than I expected. He could be a talented scorer if you know, give him a couple of years to sort of work things out, to Kevin Knox and Chris Depps Porzingis are going to lure Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to the Knicks. They are going to have the next super team. <laughs> it's like LeBronzo part two. This is where like the free agency dreams are kind of like being put into the Petri dish and, and germinated. And I think that is a real credit not only to sort of Knox's like ability to excite people, yeah. but also to what New York's done here pretty deliberately over the last year or two. They've played it slow. They haven't done the Phil Jackson, you know, drunken sailor spending spree that you know he he pulled <laughs> off a few years ago. They've tried to position themselves in it more of a Lakers like way to like, hey, let's attract some talent. And I don't know if that's going to pay off, but just the fact that we're talking about them as anything other than a disaster of guys who are just wasting money on the likes of Joakim Noah, yep. to me, that counts as a sign of progress, doesn't it? Can I read you, this is the only real prep I did for this podcast, was pasting in this this excerpt from your Winners and Losers call, but it was my favorite thing. So you wrote this morning, Summer League is not only a testing ground for rookies, it's a petri dish for free agency conspiracy theories. Last year, rumors about a possible LeBron James Lonzo Ball pairing (parentheses quotes LeBronzo) were all the rage in Vegas. This year, New York found itself as the center of attention. I love that you're trying to make it seem as though LeBronzo was like a league-wide thing when it really started on Media Row and then in your hotel room on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, people were excited about the idea of LeBron going to the Lakers, okay? We just put the good spin on it, okay? Let's roll with it. (laughs) It's great branding on your part. Um, No, to build on what you said, I do think that the the Knicks have the outlines of kind of what the Lakers had a couple years ago. They've got, like, you have to hit on a couple draft picks to start turning things around, and that's that's what the Knicks have done. I mean, it seems like Knox, I don't know if he necessarily projects as, like, a star. I think, obviously, it's way too early to conclude in, in any direction. Um but he is going to have value, and and he'll have value if you're trying to recruit people, and he'll also have trade value if you're trying to kind of clear space or or bring in another star uh, via trade. And so, I the the one thing that I'm worried about with the Knicks is, you know, a year after the Lakers pulled all this off and got LeBron and and spent 12 months like immersed in rumors about what was coming. It would be extremely on brand for the Knicks to try to do the same thing and then strike out entirely next summer because the Knicks have always like viewed themselves as the East Coast version of the Lakers and the Lakers actually kind of live out all that hype and mystique whereas the Knicks are just kind of a mess year after year. So I'm I'm wary of getting too excited and I also think that like the 
all the buzz is too loud too early and it it kind of i feel like we're all jinxing it by by talking about the kd Kyrie stuff out loud my goodness my goodness why don't you just go full andrew sharp reports and say by the way chris Stapps is still injured and he's seven foot three and he's got a leg injury (laughs) and kevin knox is going to be the next michael beasley why don't you just triple down on? i don't know man i don't know look i actually have a soft spot for the knicks the bulls and the lakers in a perfect world all three of those teams would be great but i just know that you know, trusting the Knicks and Bulls is the most dangerous game. And I, I'm worried <laughs> about some of this. They find new ways to break people's hearts every year. <laughs> Kevin Knox, welcome to the club. No, I, I guess my point was, it wasn't just Knox. Mitchell Robinson had a, a fairly interesting summer league too. He's yeah, he was good. shots like crazy. And I mean, the Knicks have been a punchline for so long. And I've just given up on trying to even sell hope to their fans because you just like feel pity for them. Mm-hmm. I think you can come away from from Vegas putting New York in that same club as like Chicago and Memphis where like you know their rookies were good enough that there are reasons to watch and maybe even Orlando in that mix too like their rookies were intriguing enough that I will be more interested to tune into their games next season than I was last season by a mile in all in all of those cases I think you know watching Jaron Jackson Jr grow is going to be really really fun every time Obama's on the court who knows what's going to happen Knox showed flashes, like I mentioned. And then Carter, uh, to me, was one of the most impressive all-around players in Vegas. And he's a guy where you just want to see how Chicago is able to sort of you know utilize him most effectively and, and where they play him and who they play him with and, and what he's able to do right out of the gate. Yeah, That makes all those teams much more watchable. And I don't think that's just Summer League Kool-Aid. I think it's actually that these guys are pretty intriguing players and they found landing spots where they can really be used by the teams that drafted them. Well, I agree with that. And I also think specifically with the Knicks, I mean, nailing uh, like the Kevin Knox pick and it seems like Mitchell Robinson is going to be really valuable as well. Like those are moves that good teams make and the Knicks have never really made. And so that alone is a reason for optimism. And I also think like the free agency stuff is going to be real and it's going to be at the forefront of the conversation all year next year. It's not crazy to, to start dreaming if you're the Knicks um it's just dangerous and the uh the thing that I would add is that it the Knicks may make us appreciate more what the Lakers did over the past year because it's they they have some work to do they have to get rid of uh Courtney Lee and Tim Hardaway Jr and like just just the same way the Lakers had to clear out Mozgov and uh and Dang and try to like create cap space and that's not going to be easy to do and they may have to attach a guy like french frank or even like knox to to clear salary to and at that point they'll be betting on themselves um next july yeah and i think to to underscore what you're saying about giving the lakers credit for what they've done these last couple of years i got a message from a guy summertime gloom on instagram made a great (laughs) point to me he said, look how well they've drafted late in the first round. And we talked, or even in the second round too, we talked about Sfi, we talked about Josh Hart, I mean, Kuzma, of course, like they've added real rotation players yeah. with picks that, you know, often are like hit or miss type picks, right? And, you know, the Lakers under Jim Buss, it seemed like, you know, they, they couldn't do anything right. And to go from that to this, you know, position where like half your rotation is guys who are going to be paid on like super cheap, you know, rookie contracts, and you're going to be able to pitch that to potential free agents, uh, you know, next summer possibly, 
that's a sign of some good management that maybe we haven't talked about enough here uh, you know, on this podcast. Yeah, and I mean, they used another one of the, the second-round picks, Larry Nance, um, to clear out the Clarkson deal, and they never did actually clear out the dang deal, but like getting getting off that Clarkson money was huge, and, that, and that's the type of stuff that the Knicks will have to kind of go out and do before we get really serious about what's possible next summer. But, um, well, let me ask you this though. You're, you're being so mean to these poor Nick fans. Can you tell me, would Kevin Durant going to the Knicks, let's say he wins a third title and a third finals MVP over your precious little Steph Curry. Yep. Let's say if he went to the Knicks, would you forgive him? Would that absolve you of all your criticism of Kevin Durant? Would you be back in on him? Dude, I've been a lifelong KD fan. His entire career, I've been a Durant fan. So yes, I'm, I'm back in the second he goes somewhere else. And honestly, if the Warriors traded Draymond and Clay, and it was just Steph and KD out there and like the playing field was reasonably level... I'd be back in in that scenario also. It's just right now, the Warriors are not particularly interesting, but like I would love to see him on the Knicks. And the Knicks, they have probably the most endearing fan base online, and they just mostly because they're perpetually miserable and have a sense of humor about themselves. So like there's nobody I'd rather see fall ass backwards into like a title team than the New York Knicks. I will say this, after seeing LeBron wearing those Lakers shorts, you know, that was sort of like a, a wake up moment, like, oh, wow, like yeah, this is going to be real, right? <laughs> and you start to think like KD in a Knicks jersey, man, they would sell an awful lot deal. of jerseys. And I know like the KD Warriors jersey actually ranks among the highest selling jerseys, but it it's never totally looked quite right. You know, like I think it, it's just because it's, you know, Steph was there first, right? And so it's, it is that feeling of like, okay. We're so used to seeing him in a Thunder jersey, and now it's this Warriors jersey. But I feel like if you threw him in that Knicks blue, that classic Knicks blue, that might, I mean, that would be probably second highest selling right behind LeBron. It might push LeBron for that number one spot if he did that. I could see there being, you know, some some marketing and business reasons for him wanting to do that, um, you know, and, and not to mention just sort of like, you know, reputation management too, you know? It's funny because I had the exact same response to watching LeBron walk in in the Lakers colors. And like, uh, first of all, I was very happy for you and happy that you captured the viral moment. <laughs> but then as like people were flipping out online, I did think to myself, like, this is why everyone has been talking about the business advantages of all this, because it's going to be a huge deal to have him out there rocking the Lakers gear. They just released their new uniforms and they they look awesome. Um, one of the few new Nike releases that I've really enjoyed Uh I don't know, like the the business side of this, we've talked about it all along, but it, it if anything, maybe we've understated it because it's just going to be like a massive win for both Nike, for LeBron himself, and probably for the NBA in general. From the West Coast back to the East Coast, though, as we wind down here, Eric says, Andrew, why are you so eager for the Wizards to move on from John Wall? Is it just the contract? Granted, he had recurring knee problems and has been a questionable leader over the past year but he's also still an elite point guard when healthy and he played well in the playoffs and uh we also got an email from listener joseph who called me a wizard's quizzling aka whizzling because of my john wall takes over the last six months (laughs) what does that mean uh it means uh, like traitor and uh and i guess 
based on my behavior surrounding the Celtics during the playoffs, I can't completely argue with it. Although, like, you can question a lot of different elements of my fandom and uh, analysis, like, over the breadth of my career. My allegiance to the Wizards is pretty much beyond reproach. So I'm okay with anyone who wants to call me anything regarding the Wiz. I'm living and dying with this goddamn team, for better or worse. Uh, and I really and, was just speaking for all Wizards fans with our kind of misgivings or about Wall last year. I hate to break it to you, Andrew. That phrase, beyond reproach, is not one you can qualify with with pretty much. Okay, You're either beyond <laughs> reproach or you're not beyond reproach. Okay, So which is it? I'm, I'm very close to being beyond reproach. Okay, That's what I would say. And it's not my fault that John Wall signed a $180 million deal and then showed up fat and called out half his teammates <laughs> and took two months off during the regular season. Whoa. Not my fault. I'm not owning that. But hey, I'm willing to talk myself back into this Wiz team, uh, which brings See, look us... look at this. <laughs> this Andrew Sharp reports just comes out of the woodwork. You never know when it could be. Look, you're beyond reproach adjacent. I'm totally fine with it. I think the emailers need to get off your back about it. Uh, but answer Eric's questions for me. I mean, like now that the dust is settled and, you know, you're looking at this, you know, future with Dwight Howard in the middle and, you know, all the jokes have been made about Austin Rivers. Are you still serious that you want John Wall traded? Or are you in for another season? No, I'm absolutely in for another season because number one, he's not getting traded. Number two, I do. I mean, like Durant, I may have misgivings about the past 12 months, but like I've been a Wall fan since he was at Kentucky, since before he got to Kentucky. I wanted him to go to Carolina. So like I'm all in for John Wall and hopefully he shows up in shape and actually, I I mean, I don't want to say he didn't care last year, but hopefully he shows up kind of locked in uh, because I think if he, if he is the version of the player that he was two years ago, the Wizards can really surprise some people this season. And, uh, I'm not gonna not gonna jinx it with too much optimism, but I, I feel like I like where the Wiz are. It's better to be underestimated than overrated, and right now the Wizards are being underestimated by just about everybody. So there you go, Eric. Breakups to makeups, everything's all good, <laughs> and the, the Wizards are going to the finals. You heard it from Sharp first. You know, another theory that Austin offered was: Is it possible that Dwight Howard actually helps the locker room? Because with Dwight in the mix on next year's Wizards, won't all the hate just be transferred over to him? I really like that theory. And the Dwight element is still something that I'm struggling to wrap my head around. Like when the news broke that he was signed for two years uh, with a team uh, with a player option, which is classic Wizards. Uh, I don't know. The whole thing just got a lot more real. Like I, I, two years of Dwight Howard is is probably too much for me. One year of Dwight is like kind of a fun, weird experience. But if you're cheering for Dwight for two years, then you're just a Dwight fan. Yeah, I mean, how are you around needles? Like, I, I'm really uncomfortable when I have to get, like, my blood drawn or whatever, so I get this very distant look on my... Like, I try to look away, and I just basically try to pretend that I'm somewhere else, and, like, I just... I don't even want to talk to the nurse. They try to do that... Sometimes they do, like, the little... The patter, you know, the banter, like, oh, what are you doing for dinner tonight? Like, trying to, like, you know, get you to relax, and it just never works. I just zone out, don't say anything. I bring this up because that's the exact look... I saw from James Harden in Houston 
when he was first paired with Dwight Howard, it was like, I am going to take my mind to a different universe, one that doesn't have <laughs> Dwight Howard and his antics, and I'm just going to remain there completely checked out until Dwight is removed from my life, much like you know the, the needle is removed from my arm. That is how Harden felt, and I can see a guy like Bradley Beal, uh, you know, certainly having a a similar approach to the Dwight Howard experience. But we'll see. Well, and you know, me too. I'll be sitting in the stands trying to take my mind elsewhere <laughs> as Dwight demands post ups throughout the first quarter. Yeah, I, what, I I can get behind that. What I'm really looking forward to is your complete role reversal on. Mahinmi and deciding that it's time that he needs more minutes because you can't take Dwight anymore. <laughs> that is going to be truly delicious. Oh man, Mahinmi. Yeah, that's that's a good reminder. My favorite reaction that I've gotten from anyone throughout this process was after it, the news broke. I think it was Woj who reported that Dwight Howard signed for two years with a team option. Like people freaked out, and so John Gonzalez from The Ringer texted me and said. Ernie Grunfeld is like a Supreme Court justice. He's going to be in that job for life, and which is dead on. And uh, we're all just kind of living with living with the results here. But um, that's the way it goes. Yep, I was going to make some obscure Supreme Court joke, like, you know, Citizens United against John Wall or something, but I'm just going to leave it. I, yeah, I got nothing. It's fine. Uh, well, let's wrap it up here. We did get some angry emailers from uh, Houston who said who were, who took issue with my characterization of the Warriors Rocket series. It's fine. Look, we're, I'm not even going to go through it. The, oh, you don't even want to read the emails where they're angrily screaming that you had no idea what happened on the court and that Houston <laughs> didn't have their best case scenario because half their roster was injured and they still almost beat Golden State and you have not given them any credit. Finally, Look. we get some logic and, and you know well thought out opinions at openfloormail at gmail.com. You're going to just brush them off like that? People need to just go back and listen to the podcast we did immediately after that series ended. The, the title of the podcast is The Rockets Were Awesome. Okay, I title the pods. I was very clear. I loved Houston in that series. They played their ass off. But the fact is, Iguodala was hurt. The Golden State bench was shockingly thin because of a bunch of like crappy decisions Golden State made over the summer. Steph may or may not have been 100%. KD was going through stuff. I'm just saying, like the time to catch the Warriors was at, in the last two weeks of May. And I, I give, give Houston credit for pushing them, but I've heard a lot of people this summer talk about that as if it was like a closer call than it, I think it really was. Yeah, we've heard you say over and over that it wasn't a close call. And that's why we're pushing back on it. And I respect the emailers for, for bringing the truth serum straight to your mouth. Okay, fine. Well, final question here from Matthew, who says, Hey, guys, I was scrolling through Ben's Instagram stories. Shameless plug for at Ben.Golliver. When I yeah. came across his photo of Argentina's 2018 World Cup jersey with the accompanying text, favorite jersey in sports now i've never thought of emailing before but this post got me curious how did this jersey from soccer of all sports end up being ben's favorite jersey in sports there has to be a story there while we're at it does andrew have any beloved garments from other sports uh i was curious too when i saw that this morning so please explain yourself 
Well, as you can probably imagine, I was a sheltered child, Andrew. I didn't get to experience, you know, very much of the world. Uh, my parents used to come up with things like, you know, you can pick up the pine cones in our backyard for a penny a piece, and you know that would keep me busy for hours. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, they used to have another thing like there was a book club at the local library, and so they'd pay me a dollar for every book I would read, and I'd get really competitive about it. So I'd be reading dozens and dozens of books, and you know, basically spending my entire childhood that way thinking That's I was good. like earning I don't know I thought I was thinking I was earning all this money but in reality my parents had completely suckered me and found the cheapest <laughs> possible babysitter you know what I mean it's That's like here great though and also picking up pine cones is like the most Oregon childhood activity <laughs> possible I love it it's how so, Ranger long story, Rick was born <laughs> exactly long story short I was reading books from the library. I basically read every sports book the library had, right? And that that brought me to soccer. And I enjoyed playing soccer as a kid. And the book that I stumbled upon was this like very detailed and sort of graphic biography of Diego Maradona. And let me tell you, Maradona got into some stuff over the course of his life, okay? <laughs> and like I mentioned, I was very sheltered. And this was sort of like my window into adulthood was just like hearing about all the crazy exploits of Diego Maradona over the course of his life. And of course, I became enraptured, you know, with his uh, amazing soccer skills, but also just his larger than life personality. Uh And so I think that sort of uh, really launched my interest in, in Argentina. And then I did more reading and found out how corrupt they were and like all these other things that were going on. It just it seemed like. Uh, you know, this faraway place that I would never be able to visit. And it just like the whole thing, they were talented, but they never really won. They, they often struggled in the World Cups as I was growing up. So that kind of just got me interested in, in their overall team. But on top of it, I just think it's such a classic look. The vertical stripes, I love the baby blue and the white. You can, you know, it's just very easy to, to see from, you know, a mile away, you know, you could be all the way in the rafters at the AT&T center, you know, taking in the brilliance of Manu Ginobili. And you could look down to, you know, the 100 level and see your fellow Argentinians wearing the same shirt, you know, 600, 700 feet away. I just love that bond. Mm-hmm. So that's why. Now, I would love if Nike could step in as their official provider. I think that would really take it to the <laughs> next level. But to me, it's just a classic jersey. They don't screw with it. Uh, I like in soccer how they don't do these radical changes, right? Like Brazil, you're getting yellow. You know you're getting yellow. Argentina, you're getting the vertical blue striping. You're good with it. And that's why it's my favorite jersey. You know who I miss is the Dutch. The Dutch had some of the dopest jerseys in all of sports. But apparently they're not good at soccer anymore. I haven't seen much of the Netherlands on the world stage lately. Well, they were the innovators of total football, which we, of course, turned into total basketball and interchangeable. So we owe them, you know, absolutely. <laughs> we owe them a giant <laughs> debt of gratitude. There's no doubt about it. So what's your favorite jersey? Though? Um, you know, my favorite jersey, it's actually creepily similar to the anecdote you just told. Um, I was in third grade and I liked a girl whose parents had gone to North Carolina. So she was like nominally a UNC fan. And I became, I like became a UNC fan mostly just to like kind of flirt with her awkwardly as like a little nine-year-old. And then um, someone bought me Dean Smith's biography. And I read that as a fourth grader. And he's in there like talking about, 
protesting back in the in the 60s and 70s when black players were first being allowed to play college basketball and then he goes through and talks about coaching Jordan coaching Vince Carter it was it was all just like the coolest shit ever coaching Rashid and so as a fourth grader the girl the crush on the girl did not matter as much because once I read that book by Dean Smith I was like a hundred percent in and then that Christmas my parents bought me an Oscar Davenport Carolina football jersey that I still wear for every big UNC game. It's now like pretty tattered and gross. Uh, but, uh, and so I would say Carolina, which is kind of like, I mean, it's, it's the same colors as Argentina, but their jerseys are, are absolutely like the top of my list. And it's really weird that we both had like transformational fourth grade reading <laughs> that, that created lifelong allegiances. Look, guys, reading is fundamental, and so is writing. So go ahead and email us at openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. I don't know about you, Andrew. I'd like to hear people's stories about what jerseys they fell in love with because, you know, that can stick with you forever. I mean, you're probably buying Carolina stuff to this day. Absolutely. I know I've got, like, 50 different items of Michigan football stuff uh, that I've collected over the years. I don't want to uh, think it's... about how much money I've wasted on random Carolina swag over the last, like, 15 years of my life. Yeah, it's it's certainly pathetic, but it's also great, and that's what we're striving for on this show. So, you know, feed the beast. Let us know uh, <laughs> your favorite gear. Andrew, our listeners can also go to Apple Podcasts. They can find our page by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. They can scroll down. It'll say rate and review. They can tap five stars. It's just that easy. We are the Postmates of podcasts. We love getting your feedback. It really helps us spread the word. We do. Andrew, don't help. forget, we're going down to one episode a week here for the next six weeks or so. So until next week, I will talk to you. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.